are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Uh, We're in the book of Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah now for a couple of weeks, and our theme is a season to rebuild. I preached the first week on weeping over the ruins. Nobody ever does a great work for God until you allow God to break your heart about the work that needs to be accomplished. Last week we talked about the greatest work of all, and it's not the external work, though that is the fruit, but it's the internal work. We need God to touch our lives and work in our hearts so that we might go out and do the great work. I was thinking about this this afternoon in the office when I was preparing for tonight. Right now I'm teaching on Fridays verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in the college. I'm preaching through the book of James on the radio verse by verse. I'm teaching through the book of Romans verse by verse in Sunday school. And here I am on Wednesday night in Nehemiah. Pray for me. I barely have any time to watch movies or anything. And uh, I really feel bad about it. Nehemiah chapter number 2. Just go ahead and stay seated tonight. We'll read verse number 12 down through verse number 18. And we'll also look into verse number 3 and maybe verse number 4 throughout the message tonight. And I'll give you the thought. God's laid on my heart for this evening. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 12. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out uh, onto the gate of the fountain into the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire, Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. We preached on that last week. As also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Tonight I want us to think on this thought. And we find the word in verse 18. But this is the thought. The little word that wrought the great work. The little word that wrought the great work. Let's pray together and we'll get into the message. Lord, I pray for your help to preach tonight. I pray for power. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to convey the truth that you've put upon my heart for our church tonight. Thank you for our place that we have to serve you, for these people, for the good service this evening. Thank you, Lord, just for a place still yet in America. It's not a Not an enemy, but a haven for the old-time religion. I pray tonight you'd meet with us. We need you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Henry Ward Beecher was a preacher in New England in a previous century. He was out buying a horse one day, and he asked the liveryman about the horse, and the liveryman said, The horse will work with you and not against you. He'll work any place you put him and do all that any other horse can do. After hearing that, Henry Ward Beecher responded and said, I wish he could be a member of my church. 
Now I want you to notice the famous statement found in Nehemiah 2.18. Probably this phrase is the most well-known phrase found in the entire book. In fact, when I think about the book of Nehemiah, I often think about this declaration. After hearing about the hand of God that was on Nehemiah's life and the burden that God had put upon Nehemiah's heart, the children of Israel reply in unison to Nehemiah's burden, and they reply, let us rise up and build. It was Nehemiah who heard the report of reproach. It was Nehemiah who'd spent four months in prayer, mourning, and fasting. It was Nehemiah who'd gotten the burden to rebuild the wall. It was Nehemiah that God had touched. It was Nehemiah that had formulated the plan and then gotten permission from the king to return and rebuild the wall. But it would not be Nehemiah alone that would accomplish that job. It wouldn't be the I of Nehemiah, but rather it would be the us of Nehemiah and the remnant that would build the wall back. Nehemiah would lead the effort, yes, but he would not do the work alone. The key phrase, I believe, in the book of Nehemiah is let us rise up and build. But the key word in that phrase is that little word, us. When I travel somewhere else to preach, if I've been there before, when I consider the name of that church, I do not first think about the pastor of that church. If I've been there before and I see that church pop up as an alert on my calendar, I don't think about the property and I don't think about the pastor. I don't necessarily think about the place. But if I've been there before, immediately when I hear the name or read the name of the church, I think about the people. You see, the church is more than just a man. The church is more than just a name. But the church is made up of many names and that is what makes that place that place. Now, you've heard our pastor say it, and I, I think I agree with him in uh, respect to our conferences. He says, most of these people come not to see me, he'll say, but to see the great people of the North Valley Baptist Church. You see, it's not the I, though the I is very important, but it is the us of the North Valley Baptist Church that makes this place this place. Lee Robertson said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And that is true. But I want you to hear this statement. Church members may not run the church, but they do make the church run. Let me say it again. Church members do not run the church. That's a good place for an amen. But they do make the church run. It is not the I that gets the job done, but the us that does the great work. Helen Keller made this statement many years ago and said, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. That principle is given again in Deuteronomy, where it says one can chase down a thousand, but two can chase down 10,000. And the principle is the one or the I does not come close to accomplishing what the two or the us can accomplish. Philippians 1:27, the end of the verse says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now in the garden of Eden, God created man. Man is in a perfect place, in a paradise kind of a spot. Man is there in the will of God. God formed Adam from the dust 
of the ground. He did not pluck a hair from the back of a monkey. He did not split the genes of an ape and then get Adam from that. But man formed man out of the dust of the ground. Man breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man was created with a plan in place. He was created with a purpose. He was created with a work to do. But God stepped back and he saw man that he had created and he said it is not good for man to be alone. You see the eye of Adam was not complete. He needed a help meet. He needed a mate. His eye needed to become an us to accomplish his purpose. So what did God do? B.R. Lakin said God took a rib from Adam and Adam furnished the first spare part for the first loudspeaker system. But I wouldn't say it, but that's what he said. And he's in heaven, so you have to go there to have it out with him. But God created a woman. Why? Because Adam could not be, is my wife out tonight or no? My Adam could, uh, Adam could not be complete without Eve. And thank God for that. I, let me try to save myself. Aren't you fellas glad that God ordained it that way? Aren't you glad? I'm glad for the day I traded out my eye for our us. They say love is blind, but marriage is eye-opening, and I'm going to have mine open later this evening. Let me mention a few names for you tonight, and then consider what is attached to that name. Listen to these names. When I think of Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody, I don't just think D.L. Moody. I think D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. When I hear, J and you might not know all these, but you ought to. J. Frank Norris. I don't just think J. Frank Norris. I think J. Frank Norris and then Louis Ensminger. When I say Billy Sunday, I don't just think Billy Sunday, but I think Billy Sunday and Homer Rodeheaver. When I think of Elijah, I don't just think Elijah, but I think Elijah and Elisha. When I think about Paul, I don't just think Paul, but I think about Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, John, Mark, and Titus. When I think about Jesus, immediately I think Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the other apostles. You see, it's not the I, but it's the us that God uses to get the work done. Henry Ford made the statement, if everyone is moving forward together, the success takes care of itself. And tonight I want you to think with me on this thought, a little word that wrought the great work. Now our study on Wednesday nights has been in the book of Nehemiah. And I promise you, eventually I will move past Nehemiah chapter 2. But what an amazing thing it is to consider that we're in a book of the Bible that is named after a mortal man. Nehemiah is a captive Jew in the Persian Empire. Yet there's a book in the Word of God that bears his name. In fact, have you ever stopped to consider that many books in the Bible are named after people? Not just people, but many books in your Bible are named after individuals. In fact, our Bible is a book made up of 66 books that give us the Word of God. And I took the time, the liberty, to count these books out. And I found out there are 41 books in your Bible that are named to an individual. That is well over 50%, maybe 75% of the Bible bears a name, the book of the Bible, of 
an individual. Now think about it. The God of heaven is an almighty, omniscient, all-knowing God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Yet God has allowed books in his book to be named after people just like you and just like me. Now think about it. There's a book called the book of Joshua. There's a book, and I'm not going to read them all, so don't get nervous. There's a book called the book of Ruth. There's two books given to Samuel and Peter. There are three books named after John. The gospels aren't even called the gospel of Jesus, though we do refer to it, but the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's the epistle of Jude. There's the book of Esther and Ezra. And all the books of the prophets are named after the prophet that wrote the book. Even Jeremiah does not just have one book of Jeremiah, but even has a book called the Lamentations of Jeremiah. So many books in the Bible are ascribed to an I or an individual. Not only are many books in the Bible ascribed to an individual, but many of the great acts in the Bible we connect with an individual. Think about it. When I say the Garden of Eden, I think Adam. When we say flood, we think Noah. When we say Goliath, we think David. When we think Israel, we say Abraham. When I think Exodus, I think Moses. When I think Jericho, I think Joshua. When I think Pentecost, I think Peter. But the truth of it is, if you study it out, no one, no man, no woman, nobody ever has nor ever shall do a great work for God alone. You see, Moody needed his Sankey, and Sunday needed his Rotaheaver, and Norris needed his Ensminger, and the eye of Adam needed the us of Eve. The eye of Noah had to have the us of his family. The eye of David needed the us of Jonathan and his mighty men. It wasn't just Moses, but Moses and Aaron. It wasn't just Joshua, but Joshua and the priests and the people. It wasn't just Peter, but Peter and a hundred and 20 Christians praying together in an upper room. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, the Bible says two are better than one. I read a poem that says, it's all very well to have courage and skill, and it's fine to be counted as star, but the single deed with its touch of thrill does not tell the man you are, for there's no lone hand in the game we play. We must work to a bigger scheme, and the thing that counts in the world today is how do you pull with the team. Tonight we're thinking about this little word that wrought a great work. Now I know I've gone through this story several times, but let me get through it again and then I'll give you the truth for tonight. Let your mind imagine the city of Jerusalem. Go back in your imagination to the day of Nehemiah. Try and see it. Can you see the rubble around the city? Can you see the wreckage that skirts the city? Ruins litter the perimeter. Try to imagine the fear and the anxiety. Try to imagine the atmosphere of discouragement that would bombard these children of God every single day as they lived among the ruins of what used to be the walls of the city. Everywhere they went, the city, every day they lived, the city was a stinging reminder to them that their city was not really their city and they were still in bondage to a foreign power. Their city was exposed to the enemy. They lived in the city with no walls. All around them lay the, the rubble of stones and the burned remains of what used to be the gates of Jerusalem. 
Now, Nehemiah has it in his heart to go back and build those walls. I want to hit pause and say, thank God for Nehemiah. I'm glad for a man that wanted to do something about the situation. It was a valiant task and it was a worthy cause. It was the will of God for his life. But can you imagine how daunting that assignment must have been in the life of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was not a superman. He was a common man. Nehemiah wasn't a free man. He was a captive man. Nehemiah wasn't a construction man. He was a kitchen man. He he took the cup to the king and now God has put it in his heart to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. But let me stop and say that's exactly the kind of people God uses to do amazing things for the glory of God. God does not need your talent. God does not need your skill. God does not need your intellect. God just wants a willing vessel that'll yield their life to be used to the glory of God. Bob Jones Sr. said, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And all of us can say amen right there. Now to put the size of this task in our modern perspective, understand Nehemiah did not have machinery like we have today. They did not have some of the things that we have that are luxuries that would make the work go quicker and make his life easier. He would have to build back these walls without any cranes, without any dozers, without any lifts, without any excavators. He would undertake reviving the wall with sheer old-fashioned manpower. Bible commentators say that the stones might have weighed several tons. The walls would run for winding miles and rise yards into the sky. There are ten gates that surround the walls, and those gates were made of heavy beams and rods of iron. And all of this work would have to be done the old-fashioned way. Can you imagine how daunting that would be? But I'm glad Nehemiah did not look at how hard it might be. He understood that with God... All things are possible, and he went at it anyhow. Can I say, often you and I never get to see God show up and show out because we get too fearful when it looks too hard for us. But can I say, just because it's hard for you doesn't mean it's hard for him. And if you'll just anchor your faith in God, faith can do the impossible. Faith moves the hand that can move the mountain, and God will work through a Christian that has faith in God. Now tonight, I believe Nehemiah had a desire that was a desire enough that he would have served God even if nobody else served God. By the way, that's a good place to get where you would stand and serve God if everybody else quit. And I think Nehemiah would have done that. I think if he didn't get a single helping hand, he'd have had his hand to the plow anyway. He had vision, he had zeal, and if he had to, he'd have served God alone. But I also think Nehemiah understood that the task was too great, the work was too large for him to accomplish alone. If he was going to do a great work in his generation, he would not get it done as an I, but he'd have to get it done as an us. Now that trend begins to take shape in verse 12 of chapter 2. Nehemiah has already made his trip to Jerusalem. He set his eyes upon the will of God for his life. Before Nehemiah ever drew a breath, God had providentially planned Nehemiah to go back and build these walls. 
The Bible says that Nehemiah has been in the city now for three days. I reckon Nehemiah is like some of the rest of us. He got a little bit antsy and a little bit nervous. I don't know about you, but I hate idle time and I hate empty space in the schedule. And I can see Nehemiah lying there. He laid there through night number one and he just dreamed about getting the job done. He tried to sleep through night number two and he couldn't get any sleep, wanting to get out there and get the job done. Finally, on night number three, he thought, man, you can keep the covers. I got to get out there and see the will of God for my life. And he rises up out of the bed and begins to take a walk around the city. The Bible says Nehemiah is riding a beast. I don't know if it's a horse. I don't know if it's an ox. I don't know if it's his mother-in-law, but he's riding a beast. And Nehemiah is riding this animal around the city. After some time, everybody all right? After some time, the rubble is so thick, the debris is so heavy, Nehemiah climbs off of his beast and begins to go through that rubble. I see him as he's ducking under timber and he's crawling over stone. He's jumping from stone to timber and back to stone on hands and knees he crawls. He's going around the scene of the city. He's navigating by the light of the moon. God is using this moment to stamp that burden even deeper on Nehemiah's heart. I don't doubt that as he walked the perimeter, that that need must have been pressing heavy down upon him as he realized the gravity and the greatness of the work that God had called him to. But in verse number 12, there's a phrase that I think is key to getting us to verse 18 and then ultimately to chapter 6 when the wall is completed and the work is done. In verse number 12, the Bible tells us, I, he said, and I rose in the night, but watch this, I and some few men with me. Nehemiah did not just get up and walk around the city by himself, but he rallied a group of men to walk around the city with him. I think it's because he knew he needed their help to do the will of God for his life. Let me say it again. No one can do a great work for God alone. It is not the I, but it is the us. And I can see as these men walk, Nehemiah is there leading them, but they're walking with him. They climb the same rocks. They duck the same timber. They see the same debris. They go as a team. They go as a congregation. They go as an assembly and view the wreckage of Jerusalem. Then you read down to verse 18, our text verse. We find Nehemiah reveals to the remnant what God had put on his heart. He's taken this walk with a small crowd and now he's about to get him a bigger crowd. In verse 18, it says, then I told them, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words they had spoken unto me. Now that is the I portion of that verse. But now comes in the us portion of the verse. The remnant responds, and they said, let not you, but says, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah says, God has put on my heart to build something in my generation. God has put on my heart to make a difference in our nation. God has put on my heart to revive the rubble and make Jerusalem the apple of God's eye again. But I can't do it by myself. And the remnant responds and says, you don't have to do it by yourself. What's on your heart is on our heart. What your desire is now our desire. Your vision is now our vision. Let us rise up and build. I think right there, Nehemiah lost his Baptist dignity 
and shouted out loud. He probably said, hallelujah, I don't have to build the wall alone. Hallelujah, I don't have to hang the gate alone. Hallelujah, I don't have to move the stones alone. Hallelujah, I don't have to remove the rubble alone. I've got some help. I've got some backup. I've got a Batman for my Robin and a Robin. I've got some help in this thing. Let us rise up and build. You say, what's the key to getting the great work done? It's a short little word, just two letters. It's not the letter I, but it's the two letters U-S. It's that word us. Now, I thought about the word in the book of Nehemiah in the word of God. And when I prepared this series, when I thought about the book, I thought about the man. When I thought about the burden, I thought about the man. When I thought about the need, I thought about the man. When I thought about the wall, I thought about the man. But then I studied the book. By the way, it's amazing what will happen to your Bible knowledge if you actually study it. The more I studied the book, the more I discovered my original thought about the text was not accurate. The book is named after the I, the man, but the book is really about the us or the remnant. Now, I want to say it again. No one can do a great work for God alone. I took the time this past week in a hotel room for a couple of days to count through the book of Nehemiah. If you were to come up here and look at my Bible, then I'd prove it to you that I'm not just preaching, but I'm telling you the truth. I went through my Bible and I underlined some words, some words I thought would be interesting to this thought. I went through the Bible and I looked up that word Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, 13 chapters, you find his name referenced uh, seven times. So that's about 50%. Seven times, uh, every couple of chapters, you find the name Nehemiah. Then I thought, let me find the word I in reference to Nehemiah. That's a little bit more. I looked up that word I and I underlined it 77 times in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah referencing himself. Then I thought, let me look up some other words. So I looked up the word us. I looked up the word our, and I looked up the word we, all in regards to the remnant. I found the word us is found 22 times. The word we is found 31 times, and the word our is found 26 times. So if you take the words Nehemiah and the word I, add it together, it comes up to 84 references of about the man or about the eye. But then if you tally the references in regards to the remnant, just with the words us, our, and we, it comes out to 89 mentions about the remnant or the us. So yes, the book is a book that's named after the man, but it's really a book about the crowd that helped the man do the will of God for his life. In fact, if you move from chapter two and then you journey into chapter Chapter 3, you find the whole chapter is a list of those people that joined in to help Nehemiah. Their name's not heading up the book. Their name wouldn't have been on the tract. Their name wasn't well known, but they're intricate in getting the work of God accomplished. You read through it. Look at chapter 3. In verse number 2, I'll just read some phrases. Look what it says. It says at the beginning, and next unto him builded. Verse number four, and next unto them repaired. Verse number five, and next unto them, and then it talks about the tech was repaired. Verse number seven, and next unto them repaired. Are you getting it? Verse number eight, next unto him repaired. Verse number nine, and next unto them repaired. Verse number 10, and next unto them repaired. Verse number 12, and next unto him repaired. Verse 14, but the dung gate, that'd be a bad one. 
Well, let the college boys take the dung gate. That's also known as their own dorm room anyhow. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah. All right, keep going. Verse 15, but the gate of the fountain repaired and has the name there. You can go on. Verse 16, after him repaired. Verse 17, after him repaired. Verse 18, after him repaired. Verse 19, and next to him repaired. Verse 20, after him Baruch the son of and his husband, he repaired. Verse 21, after him repaired. Verse 22, and after him repaired. Verse 24, the same. Verse 27, again, verse Verse 28, verse 29, verse number 30, verse 31, verse 32 at the end talks about the merchants and the goldsmith. You see what happened is this. Nehemiah had a will of God. Nehemiah had a vision. Nehemiah had a plan, but he couldn't get it done by himself. So what did God do? God raised up a bunch of what we could say are nobodies, just a bunch of people that would stand in the shadow of their Nehemiah and say, we'll let your vision be our vision. We'll let your desire be our desire. We'll let your plan be our plan plan. You don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to do it alone. Let us rise up and build. They organized together. They agonized together. They built and battled together. They worshiped the same God. They walked in the same way and they got busy at the same work in unity with one accord, with the sameness of mind, with a shared vision, and they got the work done. A man named S.D. Gordon said cooperation increases efficiency in amazing proportions. Then he said a united church is an unconquerable church. Our God is a God of amazing things. When you step back and consider the resume of God, he's amazing. In fact, Nehemiah 9 6 testifies and says, Thou art Lord alone. And that's true. He's proven it over and over again. He proves it by what he does. He proves it by what he says. And he proves it just by who he is, that our God is amazing. It's amazing when you consider his creation. Our God's amazing. It's amazing when you consider his miracles. Our God's amazing. It's amazing when you consider he sent his son to die for our sin and provide us salvation. Our God's amazing. But not only is our God amazing in creation and amazing in inspiration and amazing in his miracles and amazing in our salvation, but I think when you consider the institution of the local church, you have to step back and declare our God is amazing. Tonight, I want you to understand this. And I pray it's more than just a Wednesday night message. Go home and forget it. The local church is not an I institution. It is an us institution. It is amazing that God can band together a body of believers to get his work done in our world. It's amazing how God touches the earth through human hands and he joins those hands together in a local assembly called the church. God did not intend for us to be lone wolves or to be mavericks coursing through on this pilgrim way. We're not sojourning solo on our way to heaven, but God in his perfect will has joined believer with believer in a local body called the church to get the work of God done in our generation. We sing the song, I'm so glad I'm a part. I'm not the total, but I'm a part of the family of God. You consider the New Testament. It says we're a royal priesthood. It's all plural, a peculiar people. We are children of God. We're accepted in the beloved. We're members of one body. We're members of Christ. 
and we're members of his church. We're called the congregation, the fellowship of the redeemed, the assembly of the saints, the people of God, and Christians. It is not a me, myself, and I thing that we're involved in, but it's a Jesus and us thing that we're involved in. It is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one voice, one vision, one purpose, and one goal. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. God has seen fit to put you and I in the same body. And when you got born again and then you joined this place, you know what you did? You traded your I for our us. And God has seen fit to use the church to get his work done in this generation. Yes, God has a great work to do. And yes, you ought to have a desire to do it. But never forget that you cannot do it by yourself. But thank God we can all band together and we can do it as an us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, the Bible said, For the body is not one member, but many. That little word that wrought the great work is the word us. Now let me close in just a moment and say this. There's no institution like the church. There is no crowd like the church. There's no organization like the church. There's no assembly of people on earth like the church. This is bigger than a ball team. That's why we don't skip services to go play that. This is bigger than a corporation. That's why we don't take overtime and skip church. Say amen right there. This is bigger than an association. This is bigger than an organization. This is bigger than a club or a lodge or anything else that gathers people together. Why? Because this is not an earthly thing. This is an eternal thing. This is a holy thing and a God-ordained thing. There is nothing like the local church. Just consider the rap sheet, I mean the resume of the different people that make up this place. Only God can make something like this work. You're trying to tell me that Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman and Lazarus and the manic of Gadara and a tax collector and a thief. They're all going to church together. I mean, that's exactly what the local church is. We have people here from different walks of life, different income levels, different educational levels. We have folks with different backgrounds. We have folks from different countries, which means we have the weirdest church fellowships you ever see in your life. Uh, but anyway, I mean, we have all, it's like fear factor. What are you going to give me if I try to eat this food? But anyway, I mean, we have all these different people from all over the place. Can I say this doesn't work anymore? Anywhere else. You don't see this anywhere else. Where else do you go? And you find a man who used to be in prison next to somebody who's never gotten a parking ticket. And I hate that one over there. But anyway, I mean, how can you do that? How can you find somebody who's never had a marital problem next to somebody who's been married and divorced several times and yet there's fellowship there? I mean, how can you come to a place where there used to be a fellow who's a bank robber and now he's an usher? Amen right there. I mean, God does that. He gets people from all over the place, every different walk of life, and he bands us together. And I tell you what, what makes this place this place? Thank God for the eye. And we need the eye. And you ought to have respect for the office of the eye. And you ought to have respect for the authority of the leader, the pastor of the church. But he would say the same thing. It is not the eye that gets the job done. It is Jesus and us that gets the job done. And what I'm saying is this. Everyone here tonight matters to North Valley Baptist Church. All of us are part to getting the great work done. And no matter what what you do, what you do is important to getting the will of God done in our generation. It takes an us to make the buses run. It takes an us to make the choir sing. 
It takes an us to get patch operating. It takes an us to make Sunday school happen. It takes an us to fulfill the president's club. It takes an us to get the brick campaign going. It takes an us to keep the buildings and grounds clean. It takes an us to have a Christian school. It takes an us to have chairs under the tents. It takes an us to have the tents standing. It takes an us to make the sound system work. It takes the us to have the video feed for our online viewers. It takes the us to get Bibles to our area. It takes the us to get gospel tracts to our city. It takes the us to get the nursing homes ministered to. It takes the us to make the offering come in. He said, let us, no, he said, let us rise up and build. What's that little word? That little word is not Nehemiah. That little word is us. Let me give you three statements. I'll close. Number one, here's what that means to me. Catch the vision. The remnant's job was not to have the vision. The remnant's duty was to catch the vision. Not to change the vision, not to critique the vision, not to compromise the vision, but to catch the vision. Without a doubt, there is a direction set for this church. The direction set for this church is a biblical direction. It's a prayed over direction. It's a spirit led direction. And your job is not to critique it. It's not to question it. It's not to analyze it. It's not to tweak it a little bit. It's not to keep the man of God up at night because you're complaining about it. Your job is to catch the vision and say, let us rise up and build. You say, well, I don't think I can do that. Well, then go somewhere else. We'll watch the offering go up when you leave. But your job is to catch the vision and follow after the man of God. Not only catch the vision, but number two, find your place. Find your place. You can study it at home tonight because I know you're not going to go home and watch TV or eat ice cream or anything. Surely not a hogging dolls ice cream, right? Because we found out if we eat bananas and drink cold water, we'll die of cancer. It was in our staff meeting. I'm just trying to catch the vision. Number two, find your place. If you study the Bible, you find priests worked. Merchants worked. Goldsmiths worked. Trumpeters worked. Nobles complained about it, but eventually they worked. And this is interesting. You know where they worked? They built by the area closest to their house. Why did they build by the area closest to their house? Because that would have been the area closest to their heart. How do I find my place? What has God put on your heart? God didn't bring you here just to sit and soak it in. God got you here to sit, soak it in, then pour it back out. What has God put on your heart? Has God put the nursing home on your heart? Then find your place. Has God put the choir on your heart and then let us hear you sing and then maybe you can find your place? Has God put the, uh, uh, the media ministry on your heart? Well, then find your place. Has God put the college on your heart? Well, find your place. Has God put the school in your heart? Then find your place. Has God put the mechanic uh, work on your heart? And then go find your place. Has God put the grounds on your heart? Brother Padilla would put you in your place. I mean, has God put the orchestra on your heart? Then grab an instrument, get in your place. Has God put being a janitor on your heart? Then find your place. Has 
Has God put the shuttles on your heart? Then find your place. Has God put cooking food for the schools on your heart? Then find your place. Has God put Sunday school attendance on your heart? Then find your place. Maybe it's none of that. Well, then here's what you can do. Show up and smile, shake hands and say amen and find your place. But I tell you this, here's what you got to do. Number one, catch the vision. Don't question it. Don't compromise it. Don't critique it, but catch it. Number two, find your place. Everybody here can do something if you'll just do what you're supposed to do. God will put it on your heart. Number three, after you catch the vision, after you find your place, all you do is this, step back and watch what God does. Noah and his family, David and his mighty men, Moses and his Aaron, Paul and his John Mark, Peter and his 120, caught the vision, found their place, God showed up. Can I say, every time we have service, we're right there on the threshold of God doing something that you can't take credit for. And all we can do is step back and say, look what God did. But I tell you what it takes, catch the vision, find your place, and then just step back and watch God work. It is not the I that gets the job done. It's the us from the youngest to the oldest here tonight. It's the us that'll get it done in our generation. Let me close. I'll give you this illustration. They say, you've probably heard this before, but you've noticed these geese that fly. We bought Lincoln a bow and arrow for his birthday, and I shouldn't say the online. They'll probably come arrest us for that. But anyway, every time those geese fly over our house, he wants to shoot one. We were driving home from Bass Pro Shop, and he said, I can't wait to get home, Dad. And I said, why? He said, because we can shoot some crows for supper. <laughs> I said, you can have at it. I said, I said, I'll tell you what, you ought to shoot those cats. I said, Pastor Trebro will let you preach in church. <laughs> Don't come to my house, Internet. I know they're going to now. Animal cruelty. We hadn't shot one of them that we're going to tell you about. <clears throat> but you see those Canadian geese, they fly over, and they fly in that V shape. It's interesting that they do that. They fly over and the ones in the back honk. I thought this was interesting. The ones in the back honk sort of as an affirmation for the one in the front, we're still behind you, we're with you. You know, that's why you had to bring an amen to church is affirmation for the lead goose, if you will. Hey, you're still with him, you're behind him. But not only that, they say this, the reason they fly in that formation is that those geese, when they fly as a team or a unit, can fly up to 72% further than one can go on its own. I don't think the devil can do much to stop a unified church that bound, is bound together with a singleness of heart and vision behind an under-shepherd who's following the shepherd. And if you and I would just say, you know what, let us, not let, not let the staff, not let the preacher, not, not let somebody else, but all of us, let's just join and do what we can. Many hands make light work. Let us rise up and build. I think that little word, us, can do a great work in our day. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.